welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. Alberta politics its dynamic, moves really, really fast on the slow days. And one of the things that happens with that is sometimes there's a story that really, really consumes everybody's attention for a relatively short period of time. And then it kind of drops off the radar, but it doesn't mean that that story has stopped. One of the things that we like to do here from time to time is try to make sure that we catch up on some stories. And today we're having, we have a very, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I'm just a tingle. Um, because we are going to go back and revisit one of, one of the very controversial episodes that happened in the last, I think I can say last UCP government now. I don't know if it changes when, when Smith comes in or not, but, um, there's a very controversial episode that happened in regards to the Human Rights Commission in Alberta. And, uh, we're going to talk about that with the person who was ostensibly at the center of it all. Very excited to welcome to the show today, Colin May. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. So before we get into the, the, the stuff that I'm sure is going to make heads across the province explode, um, let's, let's take a step back and let's just talk about who is Colin May. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so I am uh, a lawyer here in Calgary, but uh, I was raised on a farm southwest of Claire's home. So I'm a farm kid. Um, and uh, come from my family's been around Alberta for quite a while. Um, my partner likes to brag. I don't know if this is a great thing to brag about, but he likes to brag about the fact that my great grandmother's brother-in-law was the first guy ever killed in the stampede at twenty in nineteen twelve. So she, he thinks that's an exciting thing. But he's English, so he gets he gets off on something like that. But no, I so I, I have a, I got a rural background, small town Alberta. Um, headed off, you know, to U of A. Uh, Got, got my uh, Bachelor of Arts there in political philosophy. Spent a year just kind of mucking around after that, rowing mostly on the North Saskatchewan River. Uh, headed off to, I got, went off to Harvard then uh, and did uh, Master of Theological Studies. Uh, a lot of what I studied was medieval Christian, Jewish, and uh, Islamic uh, philosophy. So uh, that meant things like on the Islamic side, that was the fallacy for that's Farabi, Avicenna of Aroes. And I studied with uh, Musin Mahdi there at Harvard, who was the preeminent uh, scholar in uh, Islamic philosophy at the time. He used to teach half the time in Harvard, half the time in Paris, really uh, well-educated fellow. Um, then spent a couple of years at Boston College doing more sort of medieval uh, uh, philosophy, political philosophy, and some uh, modern continental philosophy. Then moved to Geneva, where I spent two years at the International Telecommunication Union, doing work there as part of one of the UN organizations, then flipped over to the International Committee of the Red Cross. A lot of what I did there was fundraising. Um, so I just, I wrote reports. Um, so we get money from the European Commission Humanitarian Office called ECHO, and they were pretty demanding on the reports they wanted. So I had to write all the reports. So I was in contact with people in the field and in the head office about what was going on. So I got a lot, a lot of familiarity with uh, the issues in a lot of parts of the world. Um, many, and you know, many of them had uh, to do with Muslims in conflict sometimes with other religious groups. Um, I think the majority actually did because uh, it was just sort of and because it's such a widespread religion, they tended to be involved in a lot of these conflicts um, and either 
sometimes as aggressors, sometimes as victims, often more as victims. So uh, I did that for almost three years, went off to Paris, uh, did my Diplôme d'études approfondies in Paris, which is sort of a master's PhD level thing um, in political philosophy. Uh, my professor there was Pierre Manon. He does a lot of stuff on the, the political form. So how does your fo the form that you live under, whether it's empire, city-state, or nation, affect your politics? and uh, also did some stuff on integration of uh, immigrant communities into French and UK society with Dominique Schnapper, who was the daughter of the famous French uh, sociologist Raymond Aron. And my school was actually named after him as well. So uh, did that, came back to Canada, went to law school in Dalhousie, uh, been a lawyer since 2010. Um, been on a few committees related to the legal practice. So for five years, I was on the Judicial Advisory Committee and we were responsible for uh, advising the federal justice minister on uh, people who whether people should be appointed to the federal courts uh, in Alberta and served on two law society committees, uh, Board of Farm Credit Canada. And eventually in 2019, I was appointed to as a part-time commissioner of the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Uh, so I did that for three years and um, also have done a lot of work in patient safety, patient uh, advocacy, advocacy for Indigenous patients, uh, especially uh, in health equity and elderly. Uh, that has to do with uh, my father's death in 2017, Had a, was uh, unfortunate. There were some few errors done, made, and uh, also got involved with uh, some of the regulators, the professional regulators because of that. And in 2022, I applied for the job of chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission, uh, went through a fairly thorough vetting process. Um, you know, we had to interviewed by a panel of five, including the deputy minister, um, had to write, uh, put in on my application, which involved, I also put in some decisions I'd written, uh, some academic pieces I'd written on um, legal theory. And uh, we, had, we also had to do, we had 24 hours to write a decision on a scenario that was put together for us. And then I got the job. And the same day I got the job, was it was May 25th, Tyler Shandro, the Minister of Justice, phoned me, congratulated me, and told me I was in trouble. <laughs> there was a problem. <laughs> and it never got better from there. The problems just came and came and came. And eventually I got fired on <laughs> September 15th, 2022. And so now that's, that's my, now I've got a lawsuit. Uh, so of course, you know, there's certain things I'm limited to talk about in relation to that litigation. And that's my uh, wrongful dismissal suit. And uh, defamation lawsuit will probably be filed down the road here in a few months. I want, I want to unpack some of that real quick. Um, and I want to start with, out of morbid curiosity, given the fun little factoid that you opened up with, is there like a plaque at the Stampede anywhere? Mm, I don't think so. Was, my relative was Joe Lamar. Um, so I don't think there's a plaque anywhere. But oddly enough, in the, at the time, so it was uh, bareback. I think he lost. He, 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 well, no, Bronk, Bronk. And he got tangled up and the horse stomped him to death. And the next day, uh, the winner uh, donated the proceeds of the win to the family. Um, and the winner was a woman. Because back in those days, women did all the same events as men. See, I'm glad I asked that question because that, that just blossomed right there. 
Um, the other question that I have to ask, only because we are recording this on, he checks the date, June 13th, when you were recommend, like you were involved in recommending Supreme Court judges? Um, not Supreme Court, um, no, uh, federal court. So that would be Court of Queen's Bench as it was then, Court of Appeal, federal court, federal court of appeal. Uh, court, Supreme Court was just its own thing. And I know what you're gonna ask me now. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, you dodged you dodged the bullet there. So, well, I know who you're talking about, um, and he actually did work his way up through the the three court levels. So he started at Queen's Bench, Peel, and then Supreme Court. But I can't I just, tell you whether I reviewed his case or not. That was that was fair. I'm just gonna let that one let that one go. I was I was just going for a bit, and I didn't expect it to, <laughs> to land quite like that. Um, but let's. I mean, you have, an, and I think this is important to highlight, you have a, I mean, I, I went to SATE, so there's that. You, you went to a bunch of schools. Some of the names I even recognized from, like, movies and stuff. So you, you come to the table with a pretty substantial body of education and experience. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you get the job. Hooray. Now, before we get into you got the job, why did you want the job? Um, I, I decided I wanted the job because I really enjoyed the three years I spent as a part-time commissioner. Um, you know, as a part-time commissioner, you can do as little or as much work as you want. Um, and I ended up in those three years, I think I wrote over 40 decisions that are posted on Canley. So I was really enjoying I was loving it. Um, plus, as I said, I've had some background working with professional regulators. So it's administrative law, uh, complaints processes, and the Human Rights Commission is a complaints-driven uh, administrative tribunal. So I was able to take what I'd been learning and doing in uh, healthcare and working towards in healthcare uh, and transfer that into human rights. I'd never practiced in the area. But uh, I got the appointment in 2019. It was the UCP government that appointed me. And uh, it, you know, I just loved it. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked working with the people. Um, and, you know, also as a gay guy, I'm kind of, I kind of belong to one of those groups that, you know, claim, you know, equity seeking groups as we're called. Um, so it was actually quite interesting for me to be involved in that. Um, and seeing, especially the mediations we do, because um, at the time I'm, I was the only member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community who was a commissioner. And um, I would often do mediations with people who were from that community. And I think, you know, just being able to say, yeah, you know, I'm one of you guys um, made people feel more at ease. Um, so I think it was important for me to be there. And also ended up being the first openly gay chief of the Alberta Human Rights Commission. So let's get to the bad day, the, the start of the thing. So we're, we're in 20, 2022. Yeah. I mean, it was the COVID years. Everything kind of blurs together. So I want to say it out loud. We're in 2022. You get a call from Chandra. But in order to make sense of that call, we have to go back in time again. Mm -hmm. All the way back to 2009. So... What did, to the best of what you're allowed to speak to, what was, what was that phone call? How did that, how did that unfold? 
Well, I won't say too much uh, again because that's you know <laughs> um, all I'll say, and I, I can I'm sort of saying what I've put into my statement of claim already, so it's already there. Um, so it's not anything that isn't public. The only bad thing that happened then is he said I was going to have trouble with legal counsel at the commission. Um, she was going to undermine me, and okay. I was shocked. I was shocked to hear that because I'd worked with her. She was the one I was working with a lot. And I don't want to go into this too much because she's, you know, she's got her job, but um, it was just not something I was expecting to hear because I thought, well, wait a minute, because I had just been approved by cabinet. So cabinet had just voted, had approved me that day. He phones me, but then he goes and says that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and that was a first signal to me that something was wrong and I need to start getting my guard up. And uh, I didn't start actually in the job. I didn't take over officially until July 14th, I think it was. So I had a few months, but I was just kind of, you know, I went, I remember talking to my partner about it after and saying, wait, well, what's going on here? This is not what I was expecting to hear. So it, I, I was already on guard when I heard that. Yeah. So I just want to clarify, um, just to make sure everything's crystal clear. You got the job, none of the uh, reporting that happened later on was out there. You were just told in effect, hey, there's, there's a good chance someone's coming for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. When did you start to see the, uh, how I phrase this without getting myself into trouble here. Um, when did you start to see things that made you go, oh yeah, somebody is coming for me? Okay. Well, it was July 4th, um, and a member of the Premier's staff, who I knew well, phoned me and said, or texted me, I think, and said, it shouldn't, it's just going to be a tempest in a teapot, but some journalist is sniffing around about this book review you wrote in 2009. And I looked at it and I thought, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, re I remember the book review. It was just another book review I'd written. I, I've written quite a few. Um, I've written, I, I've done a lot because I used to get asked to do them a lot because of my academic background and some are in peer-reviewed journals uh, out of Rutgers University, some, the one I do, did in was C2C Journal, which is sort of a right of center. It's become, it became more right of center after this point. I, when I was first involved with it, it was fairly centrist, you know, just, and even Ben Perrin was involved. He was actually the first editor and he's now, he was, uh, legal counsel to Stephen Harper at one point, he's now a prof, law prof at UBC, and he's become quite a critic of a lot of conservatives. So, um, you know, I was probably more in that strain and it moved maybe to a different strain. Not to say that I think there's anything wrong with it. You know, I mean, I'm, I think it's great to have these journals out there from left or right producing something. But yeah, I was told that on July 4th, and then we began the process of trying to deal with it, um, which involved, at first, like, you know, July 4th, I was told, oh, it's nothing. July 5th, oh, well, you know, um, this group, the National Council of Canadian Muslims has been told about it and they've contacted us and they are concerned. And um, then a fellow who worked in stakeholder relations in the premier's office was pushing me to meet with them. And so I said, okay, I'll go ahead. I'll meet with them and met with them by Zoom uh, twice on July 6th and July 7th. And they were re really pushing for me to do an apology 
And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is an academic book review. Um, you know, I, I mean, some of my views have changed since then. But again, you know, with a book review, you're kind of saying what the guy said. And the book I reviewed was uh, Islamic Imperialism, A History by Ephraim Karsh. Uh, professor Karsh, who's taught, he was, uh, he's professor emeritus now at London King's College and at, at Bar-Lan University in Tel Aviv. And he's one of probably the, easily one of the top five uh, historians of the modern Middle East. Um, he's controversial, but it's the modern Middle East and pretty much every historian. Um, you know, there's a group called the New Historians who are very controversial. He's opposed to them. So, you know, it's, it's a controversial area. But for me, the reason I did the book review is because he was talking about um, Islam and its political the way it presents itself politically through history, which has been primarily imperial, uh, which entirely makes sense because it came of an age when you had, when multi-civilizational empires were the norm, uh, you know, Persia, Macedonia, Rome, the Byzantines, all that sort of thing. So it was, that's what you'd expect. And, and you know, and Christianity, tend, because of its universalism, tends to have an imperial, fairly strong imperial element to it as well. It's, I mean, it's, it's different the way it sets it up. But uh, so I thought, yeah, okay, great, because I've always been interested in um, how that works. Uh, the, the, as I said, the, my professor in Paris wrote on, did a lot of stuff. He wrote a whole history on um, transformations of the political form. So for me, that was a great thing because it overlapped with what I'd learned from Har at Harvard, from Moussin Mahdi. And it, so I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, sure, happy to write this thing. And uh, so that was the thing that tripped me up. And uh, yeah, so the, the National Council of Canadian Muslims met with me a couple of times. I did do, uh, I did agree to do a statement to try to assuage uh, any of their concerns. But that, you know, once people start accusing, and of course, when the story came out on the 7th of July, it came out from Duncan Kinney, um, who's Broadbent fellow, you know, he obviously leans to the left. Um, and as soon as his story came out, then within a matter of minutes, Irfan Sabir uh, tweeted three, you know, had three tweets about me, uh, calling me Islamophobic, racist, uh, writing hate speech, and demanding my resignation or that I be removed. Um, and then Rachel Notley retweeted it, and Janice Irwin retweeted it, and Kathleen Ganley retweeted it, and on and on and on it went through the caucus. Not all the caucus members did, though. So, because there was there was a pushback from the NDP as well. Now I want to I want to take a step back just to make sure that we're we're defining our terms a little bit because there's two terms that you've used so far that I think before we go any further we need to define so that all of our listeners know what words mean because uh, Star Wars that'll make sense in a second I promise. Um, when you say imperial, what do you mean by that? Well. Um, you know, there's when you look at the history of political forms, especially in the West, and I, I, I tend to consider Islam more into the West side of things because, you know, they interacted a lot. That I don't think of it so much as being the East. But when I say imperial, um, I mean that the sort of driving notion of imperialism ultimately is the, the unity of all humanity. Um, 
whereas the big contrast to that would be the city states. So that's you've got the Greek city states, you've got you know northern German cities, you've got the northern Italian cities. And for them, of course, they are very intensely local. Uh, I mean, of course, Athens was at the head of an empire, but as a form, it was a city state. And so there's certain dynamics that take place in those, whereas empires become quite extended. Uh, and of course, one of the big interesting questions is how did Rome go from being a republic and a city state to being actually an imperial form? So for me, that's what that's about. I mean, there's other, you know, there's other ways of looking at empire. Certainly the, the older empires, the more ancient empires were more national, like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Hittites. But when you get to Persia, you start to get in these multi-civilizational empires. So they, they cover a large number of cultures and a large number of races. Um, and that, of course, was Macedonia with Alexander the Great. Uh, Rome did the same thing. The Byzantines then took that up. You still have the Sassanids and the, the Parthians and all that sort of thing. So what I'm talking about really is that kind of notion that all of the world, all of humanity is unified under a single principle. And it's a very political idea. I mean, the nation state is far less a political idea in some ways than the city state or the empire because one is very particular, one is very uni universal. So for me, an empire in that fullest sense of the word is a unity of all of humanity under one principle. Um, and of course, Christianity and Islam fit the bill very well for that uh, because, and, and covering multiple cultures, multiple races, um, and, and of course, there's diversity within them. I mean, they, they don't all have the same views. I mean, Christianity certainly had a lot of uh, opposing positions, which in certain respect uh, was something the prophet picked up on in Arabia, because there were a lot of various types of Christians there then. So uh, that's what I mean by empire. Big, universal, takes in everything. So is it safe to say that maybe Star Wars put a little bit of a, a bias on the word? Probably. <laughs> But, you know, it, I mean, it's funny you say that because I always I was after I started studying this, I would watch Star Wars and I would think, oh, well, you got, you know, here's the Republic and here's the Empire. And I kept thinking of it that way. So, yeah, it kind of screwed me over, too, because I couldn't help but think of, you know, these guys in these roles. And, you know, the Empire, the notion of the Empire now is very problematic. It's not well liked. Um, and of course. Uh, John von Hiking, who's a professor, who's chair of the political science department at the U of L, wrote a piece about my book review, and he said one of the things that what I'd probably do now if I wrote about it, you know, we're more sensitive to the imperial nature of West, the West now, and by that I think, especially not just you know the colonies, the colonial period, but uh, the United States as an empire and Canada as an empire because. The, the westward movement of both of those countries, which is actually something Raymond Aron talked about back in the 50s and 60s, it, and he referred to the United States as an imperial republic, because sure, they both kind of started out in the east, but then they, you know, took over, and of course, you know, who got in the way, you know who that is, that's the indigenous, they are very familiar with those empires. So I think, yeah, I mean, I would certainly want to talk about that more. Of course, you know, when you're doing a book review in your limited space and people tell you, you can only say this many words and it's, the book is about this. And, you know, but you know, there's other versions of empire we still have. Uh, the Euro European Union, Timothy Garton Ash, who's a European uh, author, has referred to uh, the European Union as the post-imperial empire. 
uh, the UN has a certain imperial sense to it of, you know, trying to unify all people under certain principles. So the idea of empire is not well liked, but it has, there are some good sides to it. You know, the idea of the unity of people is, you know, it's from a philosophic standpoint, that's sort of a natural thing is the unity of all humans. Um, so it's got some good things. It's got some bad things like any political form. The reason why I wanted to sort of dig into that is because I think that there are certain words that get tossed around um, with a high level of, of comfort and maybe a lower level of the, the, the greater nuance and the, the meaning and the definition of the words, which leads me to my second question about the second word that you used. Um, as you pointed out, Irfan Sabir made no bones about the fact that you he accused you of being racist. Um, you've listed off your, your academic uh, credentials, which are much more than sate. Uh, so I would like to go for for 10 years. I loved it. You can probably do more with that. Like you probably got more practical skills than I got, buddy. Let me know. Only in, only in very specific situations. Um, but you know, if I, if I could take a moment to ask you to draw upon your, your, your areas of study uh, and just answer this simple question, what race is Islam? There isn't one. So that seems like, even if, and we'll get into this in a sec, but even if, if we were to go down the road of saying what you wrote in that book review was Islamophobic, there's no race of Islam. Well, okay, and here I'll, I'll defend Irfan a bit. Um, certainly it originated with Arabs, that's clear, um, but it spread certainly far and wide. So you have Persians who are very different culturally and racially, Turks who came and invaded and then they came, you know, came to become Muslims, which even something like Ataturk in 1924 when he got rid of the last caliphate, uh, he was not a fan of Islam. He thought it was a sort of an Arabic intrusion into the Turkish world. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's most, you're gonna be, you know, there's a lot of Africans now who are Muslims. Um, and so you're Indonesians, uh, Malaysians, it's, it's, it's a very diverse group and people who convert to it as well. You can convert to it, you can leave. Now, leaving Islam can be dicey and some people who have, have had issues with that. But um, the way I would defend Irfan, though I don't entirely accept this view, I, I think he was going too far. Um, sometimes people will say, well, but Muslims are viewed as the other and as the oriental other so they're seen as being you know browner and, and but there is and there is kind of an element of what's called orientalism that even in popular myth about the middle east that you'll find in europeans in the west is on the one hand they're exotic and they're interesting but on the other hand they're barbaric i mean they're both prejudices they're both ridiculous but I can see where the racialized point comes from. But in the end, you know, Islam is pretty diverse. Um, it's hard to say, you know, so I always, I don't like that idea of uh, saying somebody who might have said something anti-Muslim is racist um, because you're mixing up things that probably should be kept distinct. 
Um, not to say that there isn't a racialized element, but I think it's, you know, because I, I think of the Muslim friends I've got, and they range from very light-skinned to, to African, you know, and they come from Asia and they come, one of my Muslim friends comes from South America. So you're going to get um, a, quite a group. So no, I, I'm not a big fan of throwing the race, race in with Islam. I don't like to do it in these situations. Yeah, that's, that's the only point that I was getting at is that, that Islam is an incredibly diverse faith and to treat it as a monolith, I think in any regard, is not only somewhat disingenuous, but I think it also to some degree minimizes the, the tapestry of cultures that exist within uh, the, the Muslim faith. Um, and it's that the, the point that I'm trying to drive at is I think that there is a, a, a comfort that exists well, we called you one bad word. Let's throw them all Let's into the mix yeah. with, without any consideration for what the implications of that are. Um, because I'll be honest, when I, I, even when this story broke, the, the nuance of the, the book review was, was not fully appreciated by me at the time. Um, but even when like they were throwing out the racist stuff, I was like, oh, let's pump the brakes for a sec here, kids, because like... A, a questionable book review is one thing, but if we're going to go down the road of like, and he's racist, and also I heard he has a colonial flag, and you know now we're just getting into speculation and conjecture, and it isn't it isn't in any way contributive to a fulsome debate on the issue. So all of the tweets go out, everybody retweets, almost everybody retweets everybody. Um, what happens next? Um, so a couple things happen next. The first thing is probably, I mean, my partner and I are hunkering down because, and it's, he's taking quite a hit on this to see all the new Democrats doing this because he used to work with them. Um, and, uh, but the first thing that happens, I think, you know, there was some communications with some of Shandro's people, but the first thing that then happens is Marg McQuaid Boyd texts me, texts me. Of course, Marg is the former energy minister and you know wonderful person um and longtime family friend to rachel notley and she said the first thing is i can't believe they're doing this they don't know you um and of course they actually do know me. that was the thing they do know me the ndp know me um but you know so she reached out and she actually started because it was the day before stanby prayed um rachel was down here uh she was with Irfan and Kathleen Ganley and Janice Irwin, I think, was with her, and um, was chief of staff, Jeremy Nole. And so, right away, Mark reached out to them to try to communicate with them. And my partner was actually texting Rachel directly because he has her personal cell number. So he's like, Wait, don't, don't, what are you, you don't, this is not what you think it is. And um, so Mark did that. Another friend of ours who used to work with my partner and was a good friend of Shannon Phillips from Lethbridge went to Shannon and said, do not get involved in this. And Shannon didn't. She didn't retext anything, at least that I saw. I, but I, I was told by some people that some people had text put something out on Twitter and then pulled it off. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 hey, I don't, I'm not even a Twitter guy. I just got my Twitter account because uh, my comms person I'm working with just told me to get a Twitter account. I don't have a Twitter. I don't, I don't have Twitter. I, uh, so um, I'm old. 
but <laughs> well, for Twitter. But um, yeah, so what started happening was this outpouring of new Democrats pushing back against what the NDP were putting out there. Now, the NCCM put out their statement, which some of which I think ran entirely contrary to what we'd actually talked about in our meetings. Um, Duncan Kinney put out his piece, but for the most part, the media didn't pick it up. There was very little interest from the media, um, you know, and so we kind of just thought, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, the next day I started getting threatening calls. Um, and so that was through my work number. So I had my law firm that I was still at take down my, uh, my phone numbers and my picture and everything. And I had some other people take down pictures of me off, uh, off the internet. And, um, and then I just stopped answering the calls. Um, but so when we stayed in our condo for four days, we didn't leave. Uh, I let the government know that this was happening. And they said, you know, they said, well, phone 911 if something happens. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Uh, I'm feeling really safe now. Uh, somebody's got my back, I guess. Yeah. So, um, and then I, I, so we kind of, we were in this no man's land of is something going to happen? Is not. Shandro told me that he's not pushing for me to be terminated. And, but it, it was sort of bu bubbling beneath the surface. The NDP kind of backed off. Um, I think they backed off in large part because they were getting a lot of pushback. Former MLAs were going to them and telling them to stop. Um, because I said, my partner used to work very closely with Rachel. He was her coordinator of touring and scheduling for Southern Alberta. So, you know, uh, I mean, when she did her video up in Fairview, or childhood video, only he and Cheryl Oates were able to go up. They were the only two allowed and he'd be there adjusting her bra straps. And I mean, they, they were very close. <laughs> it was not, a, it was not a, a distant relationship. You know, she knew us well, she knew him really well. She'd been to my place before. Um, Irfan Spears has been to my home. We did two NDP fundraisers for Ricardo Miranda in 2018 at our home. Um, so, you know, the fact that the UCP actually appointed me in 2019 is a bit amazing after all that because they knew about it. But you know, my partner, he started off working for Prentice in government, and then and it was and the NDP actually flipped my partner from government employee to political, so they they had that much confidence in. But yeah, it kind of just we didn't know where it was going for so for a few days afterwards, it just sort of sat there, and then there was another blogger, uh, kind of journalist guy picked it up and started to really push that I shouldn't be allowed to be, to go even go into the job, which started to get my, me confused because why I thought, well, why is it such a big deal that I don't get into the job? Why is that so important that I can't? And he, he kept saying that and I was a bit surprised, but anyhow, and eventually I did. I started the job on July 14th. And then, <laughs> and then, um, well, um, it was still fairly quiet because like my, my contacts with the NCCM, I, I had told them I'm happy, you know, I'll meet with the, the Muslim community. Um, and they kind of, you know, I was getting into the job and they were busy doing their thing. So we weren't, we, we hadn't, we were communicating for a while. There was no real communication between us. Um, and, you know, I started the job and, something comes up, which kind of surprised me. And I can't go into it 
too much detail, but I believe one of the people is actually going to Court of King's Bench on it to get a review. Um, but two complaints of sexual harassment against other employees came to my attention and they were made by employees of the Human Rights Commission. So I was like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> We've got sexual harassment complaints here, employee against other employees. And I won't go into the detail of who they were. I mean, they are, they'll, they'll be, they would be relevant, but I can't really say exactly why they are. But, um, you know, I was a bit shocked. And then I saw how they were dealt with and I was not entirely happy because it kind of looked like there were issues there that they weren't dealt with the way I thought in a fully transparent and accountable way. And um, so I started thinking, okay, well, is this one of the things that I wasn't supposed to be aware of? Um, and I started getting concerned about that. And there were instructions or suggestions, I guess you'd say, from the Public Service Commission, which does investigations in the workplace in the government, to the chief, my predecessor, saying you should be doing workplace reviews they weren't done so my one of my first things was i want to get a workplace review done on that because i got to find out what's happening here and i already knew there'd been a lot of stress i knew there'd been a lot of people who had left there'd been a lot of transitioning during my predecessor's term but um the sexual harassment thing took me completely by surprise and uh i thought okay well um maybe this is what i'm not supposed to see because I was also told, uh, and again, I have to, I, I'm limited in how far I can go, but I was told that staff of the Human Rights Commission, and I've seen documents about this from the government, that staff of the Human Rights Commission were leaking to the NDP fat, uh, the, the blow by blow, essentially, of the interview process, the recruitment process that I was going through, and then told the NDP that I was going to get the job. and. So the NDP were ready. They knew I was coming into this thing. Um, and the relevance of that leaks will, is connected to what was going on there. It appears the NDP did, were worried that I was going to divulge publicly or deal with the problems of the commission that occurred under their appointee, who they appointed in 2018, my predecessor. That seems to be what the NDP were trying to cover up. So. They needed a way to get at me. And what I was told was they had the book review because they had looked, they had found it. They'd searched me as well when my partner was hired. And yeah, so they had the book review. That's what I understand. The, the book review is like a, a, a small book review from almost a decade and a half prior. Well, at least a decade. Um, that's not like something that one's just like, oh, let me just go through the back issues of C2C and oh my goodness. Like there's, there's. <laughs> well, the thing is going I, on. I asked the C2C guys about it and they, cause they said to me, well, they couldn't even find the book review on their site. And they said, do you have the link? Because it looks like it's been archived and we can't even find it. So whoever found this book review, whether it was the NDP, whether it was Duncan Kinney, but I mean, I was told it was the NDP, um, had to do some pretty hard digging to find it or did it quite a while ago when it, before it was archived. But the, the guys who are the editors at C2C told me, no, we don't, we can't find it even. Can you send us the link? So I actually had to send them the link. 
I didn't have it either. I didn't, you know, anymore. I didn't pay attention. It was a book review I'd written a long time ago. I didn't care anymore. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, you had to really be looking for this thing. And uh, it appears the NDP, from what I understand, were really looking for it. And then they decided to orchestrate these attacks. So I just want to paraphrase where we are so far, because we've covered a good chunk of ground, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding it correctly, because I'm really not that bright. Um, you, you got into the role, you were appointed by the UCP. Um, it was made clear that there was some inter-office tension, let's say. Um, the, the book review comes out, um, the, and it, it is, like, it's abstract. To, to find a piece of, 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 of writing like that, there's, I, I had questions, is all I'm going to say. Because, um, like, I can barely find two socks to put on most days. Uh, and to find a, an abstract academic book review from 2009. Eh. Um, but the, the book review comes out. And while this is simultaneously going on, you're discovering... And there has been... I, 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 believe I did see some media coverage about some of the uh, problems that may have existed with your predecessor where some folks were told, hey, how about you don't meet in person? Just do it over like Zoom or something. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, but yeah, yeah. Pl pl please correct me if I'm wrong. You start sniffing around this and things take another turn. Am I doing good so far? Yep. Yep. That's it. Okay. Hey. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, what I was going to say, you know, when you mentioned my predecessor, and I'm not going to say his name, but because he deserves to have a fair hearing as well. But yeah, what happened, you know, he had a five-year contract. He left three years into that contract, which we were like, what's, why, why is he leaving? Um, and of course, when I was negotiating my contract, I found his contract and it was pretty good. Um, he was paid, you know, Rachel brought him in at the top level of the pay grade even even though he'd never worked in alberta which is not you know usually and really good 35 days vacation and all this sort of stuff so i was like oh well um so and i was not they didn't offer me that so i had to i was i was fighting to get a better deal and i, I still didn't get to where he was but he left um we were never really sure why but okay we thought well he's leaving going back to ontario uh, went to Ottawa. He got a job there with the Canadian Human Rights Commission as the first accessibility commissioner because he does have a physical disability. So he was, and he's worked in this area for a long time. He worked in the human rights area in social justice tribunals in Ontario for quite a few years before this all. But yeah, 2022, he goes there, gets this job. And then, yeah, the, I came across this article as well. It was a CBC article um, from the beginning of May of this year about problems with him and accusations that he was abusing his staff and again as i say he deserves to have a fair hearing on all that don't assume anything yeah you know Not um thing. and but yeah it's like you say there were protocols ultimately put in place where he couldn't have face-to-face -face meetings they always had to be on zoom and there always had to be a witness there and um when i saw this it shocked me actually because as I was starting to meet with my senior management team at the Alberta Human Rights Commission in August, I was starting to hearing these things too, that there was abuse, that there was 
um, limits on how they could even meet with him. And I was, and I, you know, again, I don't want to go into too much, but I was seeing the identical things that I had been told by senior management at the Human Rights Commission that were now occurring in Ottawa. But Ottawa actually bothered to investigate it. I won't go into everything that I was told by the UCP about this because some of it's pretty technical. Uh, but, you know, the, the federal government, good on them, has actually investigated, whereas in Alberta, it was pretty much covered up. So you're, you're going through this, this process, and what happens next? Well, I'd had, um, at one point in August, too, the, uh, the government decided they wanted to bring in more BIPOC community members as commissioners. And we actually already had a good number, um, but I was good with that. Uh, so we ended up with five, two of whom I personally recruited, one Muslim, one Sikh. Um, and the two other Muslims joined, one of whom I knew well already, um, and then a fellow from Siksika who had been a judge in the United States. Um, and added to that, we had three Nigerians as commissioners. Uh, we had an Asian woman. I mean, it was, it's a pretty diverse group. Um, and so under me, we had by far the most BIPOC community members we've ever had. We had, uh, about almost two thirds of the commissioners were, were female. Uh, but I was it for the, I was, I was the pride guy. I was the guy waving the flag for the pride. <laughs> that was it. I was, I was the only one. <laughs> but um, so in August, we got these five people appointed. And um, then as time went on, I started meeting with a few Muslims of, that I knew. Uh, one of them, the minister actually asked me to meet with. And one of them said to me, well, you know, there's going to be problems with you meeting with certain elements of the Muslim community, especially some of the leadership, because you're gay. And it was said to me, I just like, they're, they're going to have a problem with that. You're, that's haram in Islam. I know that. I mean, that's one of the things, that's, that's one of the major problems. Um, so he said, you know, this may not work. Um, and then at one point, uh, so it was later in August, then the NCCM contacted me again, a fellow from the NCCM, and he was having trouble getting hold of me because he, he only had my old phone number for my law firm. Well, but then he phoned uh, a fellow in the premier's office, plus a, a fellow or outreach guy at the uh, Human Rights Commission. He said he wanted to meet, he wanted to meet with me. He gave some dates. Um, and I said, okay, yeah, let him send me the dates. Uh, I didn't talk to him right away, but he sent them to me and I was, they were in Edmonton and I had to be, I'd just been in Edmonton. And I had to be in Calgary. So I said, oh, so I wrote him, emailed him, said, look, let's, let's chat as soon as we can. So a couple day or so later, we talked, had a good conversation. And I told him that, you know, these dates wouldn't work, but he said, oh, well, we'll just do Zoom, Zoom meetings. We're going to do Edmonton first. And he said, can you, you know, can you give me some dates down the road? Okay, I can do that. Um, and also I have to say, I did tell him that my lawyer had served notices of defamation on three parties. And that's because, you know, my, my reputation was getting torn apart here. And it's very difficult to defend yourself when you're the head of a tribunal because you have to stay objective. You're a lot like a judge or a justice. You don't, and, and, and this is in the law, our law society code of conduct, you gotta be careful when you criticize heads of tribunals because they don't, respond. Now, usually you're going to criticize them about their decisions, but, you know, you can criticize them about anything, and it's hard for them to really respond. I mean, 
hey, Russ Brown, he's been taking flack. He's resigned now. But he never really said very much publicly. And he actually had lawyers helping him out. So um, I told them that. And of course, it's, you have to serve the notices of defamation on journalists within three months of them publishing. The, it's not, you don't have the two years. And it's not a lawsuit yet. So it's, it hasn't gone to a lawsuit, but you have to serve them and let them know. So they preserve all their documents and what they had. So I told him that and he's okay, well, get, you know, let me know some dates. And I did say to the premier's office, look though, I had, I've also met, I also met with Mohammed Yassin, uh, who's the UCPMLA for Calgary North and was a cabinet minister, who's now minister of immigration and multiculturalism. We had a really good meeting with him. Uh, I really like him. I thought he was a great guy. He was very receptive to everything I was saying. He was kind of surprised because I was telling him, well, I, yeah, I've studied this and I've done that. And he was pretty shocked that I could, you know, rattle off the names of medieval Arab philosophers. Um, and he said, I wish I'd known this and just wait, don't do too much until. So I always, everything I wanted to do from that point on, I kind of wanted him to approve it. Even though he's a political player and I'm supposed to be independent, you know, he's sort of my eyes and ears in the Muslim community. But then I also, uh, Minister Shand, who asked, sent another person, a Muslim woman who's Ismaili to meet with me that I know. And we had lunch. And she again said, well, I don't think you should meet with this, these certain groups that the NCCM is suggesting. Um, and, you know, the issue of my sexuality was raised again. And, you know, it, one of the things that we have since learned that one of the fellows from the NCCM that I've met with in 2009, same year I wrote my book review, he was speaking at an event and the transcript ended up on Facebook. And um, the, the question was raised, should Muslims work you know, with LGBT and that's what, and he was pretty dismissive and he equated homosexuality to adultery. And he said, it's the same as usury. It's the same as, you know, producing alcohol. Should we be meeting with people who produce alcohol to work together? Should we be meeting with adulterers to work together? So, you know, he was not somebody who was particularly open to who I was either. Um, and, you know, that, as you start to learn this, when you've been, you know, I've been gay for 52 years. Um, and, and I got to tell you, you do get a sense of sometimes when there's a bit of a nose out of joint approach to you, you know, you know that. And that seems to be, I think that was probably part of it. Um, so the NCCM then, you know, I had this meeting with this Ismaili Muslim. They then got mad at me and sent me an email September 2nd saying they wouldn't facilitate any meetings with me. They were angry because I had served these notices of defamation. And they said that I hadn't gotten back to them and prioritized further meetings. Um, and I, so I never told them that I wasn't gonna meet and it never happened. I never said to anybody that I wouldn't meet with, with these groups. I mean, I was getting some advice not to from Muslims. So, you know, but I had never, I hadn't made any final decisions. And so I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, that's it, I guess. They've told me to go jump in a lake. <laughs> so that's their prerogative, you know, and I uh, kind of just went about my business and then it was September 12th um, and the NCCM sent uh, a letter to the media and eventually to the minister, I think it went to the media first. And they had a number of other Muslim organized mosques and that sort of thing, um, signed on to it, calling for me to be terminated uh, because I hadn't prioritized these meetings and I had served the notices of defamation. And I think they did refer to 
Islam, the book reviews Islamophobic then. They hadn't in the original statement. They were careful about that too. I mean, Sabir was really the guy going on that, riding that horse. But yeah, so I, minister asked, well, the deputy minister asked me to say, okay, can you respond to this? And he gave me two questions and I responded. And then they said, the deputy minister phoned me and said, you have two options. You either resign or the minister will ask for your resignation. I said, well, I'm not resigning. <laughs> so he's going to have to ask me. They actually went to the media that night and said they had asked me and they hadn't. So they, the next morning they had to rush to get a letter put together, which was only two sentences, to send to me. And then they asked for my resignation. And then I got my lawyer and she said, no, not resigning. And eventually that later that week I got fired from the cabinet, you know, did their thing and kicked me out. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess there's a couple of, of, of things that I think are, are important to highlight here. And, and one of them is, um, I think it's important to highlight that I don't believe, and I could be wrong, if, if you have information that is, is different than this, but I don't believe they ha that there was some sort of meeting where it was determined that the NCCM were the sole representatives of Islam in Canada. No. And it sounds like from, and, and, and this is one of the things that's really important, I think, to acknowledge, because people, and we, we kind of talked about this earlier, people have this tendency of organizing groups into monoliths. And it is a, it is a disservice in just about every way possible to do that. So you're having conversations with Muslims that you know, who know who you are, um, and they're saying, oh, that's not a great idea. Um, I find myself wondering, like, who's representing that segment? Uh, it's, it's, the other question that I have to ask, and please, I, I I hate that I have to ask this question. Um, and it, please understand there's, there's no disrespect intended. Um, you said yourself, you've been gay for 52 years. There are obviously people who are very comfortable living out. There are also obviously people who are, are not, I'm not casting aspersions and judgment on how anyone chooses to navigate that. Cause I'm a middle-aged cis straight white guy. So I'll own that shit. Um, but was it, would it be safe to say that it was public knowledge to some degree that you are gay or no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Public knowledge. Oh, sure. I mean, um, yeah, my partner was vice president of the Gay Rodeo. I mean, he's been he's been really involved in the gay community. I, you know, I used to go to the Eagle when the Eagle existed a long time ago. Um, yeah, oh, sure. Everybody knew I was gay. Everybody I worked with knows I'm gay. Um, that's never been, I mean, partner and I have been together for 10 years. So, you know, that's, that's no one. Um, and even in the first meeting with NCCM, I said, look, I, you know, as a gay man, I can sort of understand some of the issues that you experienced as, as a minority. So, uh, but, and even when, it was announced to um, the staff at the commission that I had been appointed as the chief. It went out, you know, and as a member of the 2S LGBTQ plus community, that's a great thing. 
Um, now, the UCP didn't play it up much. <laughs> they kept it pretty quiet. Um, that wasn't a, a theme because they would say, well, we didn't hire you because of that. And well, well, yeah, but I am that. I mean, it's something worth, I think, you know, celebrating. Not, I'm not trying to say it's the be all and end all because no, I don't think I got the job because I'm gay. I think I got the job because I'm competent and I'm interested. But, um, and I have a pretty wide ranging background with a lot of diverse people. Uh, so yeah, I'm known, everybody knows, but the UCP didn't. Know. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to clarify that point because I can see one of the counterpoints being, and you've already negated it in, in what you just said there. So there's that, but I can see one of the counterpoints being like, ah, oh, the NCCM didn't know that he was gay. But if you said in the first meeting, oh, by the way, that, that kind of goes away, um, I find it fascinating. I mean, like I have this, this statement from the NCCM here and the way that the statement's written, it very much portrays a story, some subtext, let's call it, of, oh, we tried to meet with this guy. He just wouldn't meet with us and he wouldn't meet with any of the, uh, boy, I got to be careful with that one, um, recommended Muslim leaders, recommended members of the Muslim community. Um, it, so, you know, we tried, but your experience seems to be quite the opposite. You did have multiple meetings with members of the NCCM. You did have multiple conversations with them. Um, and you were engaging with members of the, the, the Muslim community who don't view your existence as um, bad. So, well, I mean, I, even on that, I have to say for, you know, Muslims don't necessarily look at my existence as bad because they're even having feelings. They don't consider that a sin. It's if you act on it. Um, so, you know, but what am I going to do? I'm going to ask on it. Sorry. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty, you know, the not don't act on it thing. Yeah, that doesn't work so well. Trust me. I've been what? there. It causes more problems than it's worth. Well, and it also, like, I think where I struggle with the don't act on it thing is that, and, and, and we got into this on a recent episode where, you know, it was suggested that, well, you know, people are gay because they're traumatized. And the base assumption, the, the subtext of a statement like that is that there's something wrong with being anything other than straight. And that's just not true. It's just not. And yeah. so don't act on it is like, I'll say it this way. And I'm, I'm really trying to avoid, I have my cancel clock over here and I'm, I'm tempted to bring it out again, but. Um, I saw that was from your last episode. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, we made we made it especially for that episode. And I'm surprised that, 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 that it hasn't been as, as vocal um based on the content but um you know i'm a big believer that if somebody has a, their own faith fill your boots um if, if you want to believe in the flying spaghetti monster 
you go ahead and you believe in the flying spaghetti monster just about as hard as you can. But when it comes to applying those standards to people who don't exist inside of that same belief structure, pump the brakes a little bit because that's not okay. And it's, it's fascinating to me that the NCCM appears to have said, hey, um, we're just going to stack the deck right out of the gates. You cool with that? Yeah, that's, that's how, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, when you're in these situations, um, my first reaction, I think on that July 4th, was, well, I better get ready for this because it's going to end well. Because you're, you know, you're, you're being portrayed, you have Irfan Sabir, who's the justice critic for the NDP, the, op the, you know, the opposition, um, just attacking very aggressively and demanding my resignation. Um, and, you know, so you've got, and he is a member of that community, so you've got that attack coming at you. Um, and then you've got, you're meeting with a group that's saying you should be apologizing. And I'm like, well, what do I apologize? It was a book review. I, you know, I, I spent years of my life studying this stuff so I could actually understand it. I, you know, I, and let's be honest, you, you know, you're not going to find a lot of universities in Canada that have a, do a lot of work in the Middle East history. And whereas, you know, a lot of American universities do. Harvard, of course, has a huge department of Near and Middle Eastern Studies. Um, and, you know, Paris had l'Institut de Mondérable, uh, Chicago, for instance. But yeah, you, you know, it's, you're stuck. You're, and you look at this and you think, I'm not, there's no good way out of this because I've been called these things now. Um, and, you know, what kind of apology do you give? Well, I'm going to learn. I'm going to, you know, say it's wrong. Well, I mean, it's pretty hard for me to say something's wrong. And of course, Ephraim Karsh has sent me a statement since when he's, he's become familiar with the topic saying that this he couldn't believe I got fired <laughs> so um you know because he said the book review is an islamophobic what, what and he clarified a bunch of stuff and talked about his own research and everything um so yeah I, I felt like I was probably doomed from the start and then when I got into the job and saw the workplace issues um I thought oh crap so actually there was this <laughs> you know when I got finally got fired on September 15th um, the deputy minister phoned me to tell me, um, and he's a great guy. I like him a lot. Um, he's now a judge. And, and of course, he, if we go to trial, he'll probably end up having to be a witness at some point, which he won't want, but sorry. Sorry, Frank. Um, that's the way it rolls. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I knew. I, I could just have the sense that I, I didn't see how I was going to get out of this unscathed. Um, and uh, I didn't. I'm curious to bring it to a little bit of, of current events. And I'm, I'm going to ask this in a couple of parts because I think that there's some, I think it's a very complex question that I'm about to ask you. And if I don't give you the opportunity to answer it in a couple of parts, then I'm kind of being a dick. So um, when you take a look at your situation that, that you dealt with or continuing to deal with, and you juxtapose it with a certain NDP newly elected MLA, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Yep. Um, the, the, and I'm not going to say his name because... No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the NDP 
had to nominate a candidate who it came out during the nomination. And I'll add, more recently than 2009, uh, said some incredibly uh, hurtful, harmful things towards uh, the, the LGBTQ2S plus community, particularly targeting trans folks. And he offered up a uh, apology um, where he said, I've learned and things. Uh, I will be a champion for, for the community. And I mean, again, I'm going I'm to play the, the cisgendered, middle-aged, straight white guy card. Um, but watching how it has been Pride Month now for almost two weeks and this champion for the LGBTQ, to us plus community has spectacularly failed to even acknowledge Pride Month's existence. Um, it seems like there's like a a political expediency at play here. So when it when it comes to hey, we can go after a guy that uh oh might find some dirt about the dude that we appointed, and also he was appointed by the UCP, so we'll just hate him because it's a day that ends in Y. Um, they'll come after that with all guns blazing using rhetoric that that I don't believe applies. Uh, and I'm going particularly for the for the racist piece here because I think it's just disingenuous to call a religion a race. Um, but when they've got this own stuff going on inside of their own house, then it's like, uh, well, but look, Janice Irwin. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... And that's, that's you know, I... I know the ML gays from before Janice Irwin, Ricardo, and Michael Connolly, and Estefan, uh, and, um, or Estefania, or I think Estefan, he go, they go by now. Um, and, you know, Ricardo lost a seat. Um, like I said, we did two fundraisers for him. Uh, Michael lost a seat because he got rejigged and the NDP wouldn't give him a seat. They wouldn't let him run again. Sorry, Michael, but... You know, let's tell the truth. You were crying in your suit to my partner and I had backlot about it. So, you know, um, buddy, <laughs> I know the original ML gays before Janice. You know, I, I, I've now she was around um, from 2015. I know that because she worked with my partner a lot. But Janice suddenly comes on the scene. She becomes all things gay, dancing it out all the time at Pride. And, all that and you know, and then there was certainly celebrating, trying to get more ML gays with Rosalind Valencia um, and Michael Lisboa Smith, especially Brooks Arcan Paul, I gotta make sure I say his name correctly. And a little Court Ellingson a little bit, but nobody really talked about Court being gay <laughs> at the during the campaign. Since he won and Michael lost and Rosmond lost, Court seems to now be moved into the front of that, that group. But um, yeah, I you know I know what you're talking about he he made comments. From what I understand there has I mean, I've asked some friends in the trans community. Have they heard anything about it? No, they haven't heard anything from the guy. Um, so yeah, and I did bring it up a few times myself, to, and it didn't really go anywhere. I mean, he certainly made an apology, but you know, he actually—I was writing an academic book review. He was tweeting out about Caitlyn Jenner uh, in 2015. You know. Um, you know what that's not you didn't have to do that um you weren't really putting in any intellectual you weren't adding intellectual value to the world by doing that um and of course you know he comes from a certain community um and 
I, you know, but I'm not going to say cancel him or kick him out. Um, no, no. Because, you know, one of the big things I have, I say about this, um, and it, I would say the same thing about Amira El-Gawabi, who was the Justin Trudeau appointed as the Islamophobia special rapporteur, I think her title is. You know, I mean, when you've got a, a multicultural country like Canada is becoming more multicultural, you're going to end up with a lot of people who've come here who have anger towards another group and they're going to say it. And, they, you know, you're coming from, if you're coming from a Muslim background or from a strongly Christian background, you know, my people are not necessarily your favorite people. And I get that. And I think it's important though, don't, you know, don't cancel everybody. I mean, there's one guy who's an NDP guy who think he was a, he's a Khalistani independence supporter, which of course India won't like, but um, you know, when you've got these people coming, it's probably better to have those opposing views in a legislature so they can meet other people from the other community so they can learn and talk and engage than canceling everybody and just saying we can only have certain types who don't haven't expressed this or that in the past. So I'm not opposed to this guy being there as an MLA. Um, I just think, you know, yeah, don't take me out because of something I've said. Um, let's all stay in and hopefully we can all talk to each other to me it, the 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 frustration comes from um if you're going to say you're going to do the thing you should do the thing and if you're not going to do the thing then don't say that you're going to do the thing um and if you're going to be part of a group that is wanting to represent people and you say i'm going to represent the hell out of you and then you don't, who, who holds them accountable? That's what, that's what sort of my beef is. I don't want to see him, him canceled. I don't want to see anyone canceled. Um, I, 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 the, the goal of, of this show is to try to get conversations going in, in a civil way so that it's not like, you suck, no, you suck more, because uh, nothing good comes of that. But I think that there also has to be a, a certain degree of, of balance of accountability. Um, yeah. And I know I agree, because I, I think, you know, if you're going to say, and I know um, Janice and some of the other NDP have tweeted out that we're not just going to be an ally now, we're going to be a champion. Well, yeah, okay, well, this guy said he was going to be a champion, and like you say, we're, we're okay. Where's the champions going? Because there's not much champion championing going on at this point. Yeah. yeah. So what's next? I mean, I guess the two questions are, uh, you... Obviously, you you you're not with the Human Rights Commission anymore. What, where did you land after that, and and what's next for you? Well, I haven't landed anywhere yet. Um, I applied for some jobs, and you know I was uh, that last fall. I was involved in uh, I was an application was going forward to make me the adjunct prof in the medical school, coming school, because of work I've done in uh, secondary trauma, in complaints processes following adverse events in medical treatment and that got sidelined um but it's kind of back on but yeah i mean i got you get wiped out you know um you're not i've gone from being friendly with new democrats and ucp to being persona non grata with both apparently i mean some of the ucp still talk to me obviously the ndp who supported us do but even they you know you there's a bit of a distance because they're afraid somehow that you'll taint their you know, who they are. Um, so right now I have no job. 
Um, I gave up my entire practice. I wrapped up my entire practice to take on this full-time role. Um, but, you know, you go through, there's an emotional thing you go through. Uh, I was depressed for quite a while um, and uh, quite depressed uh, for about a month. And, you know, you're relying on your lawyers to file things and keep things going. And you're trying to pay for all this. Plus, you know, I got to pay for my, my partner certainly has a job, but I have to contribute. So I'm using savings. Um, and it, it takes a long time when you've had this publicly done to you. Um, you know, you lose a lot. Um, it's tough. It's not something I would ever suggest anybody try because it's pretty hard um and you you lose a lot of your confidence in the people around you you, you feel bit betrayed i mean my partner certainly felt extreme betrayal by rachel um because you know there's things we've done and i've, I've talked about the months mother podcast about my partner and i basically got a guy out of he was hiv positive muslim man living in the middle east and we got him out uh, we got it arranged for him to make an asylum application here, got him to end of the rainbow. Uh, my partner took Rachel to see him uh, when she was still premier. And I've never actually talked to the fellow because I've kind of kept a distance because he's still, he was under threat. He was going to be, his family was threatening to kill him. Um, and, uh, or at least uncles and cousins. And as far as I know, he's still in Calgary. But, and my partner told Rachel that this is what we did. And so to have somebody, do what they did to us to have the NDP do what they did and call us, call me those names. You know, I went, I mean, I went to Irfan Zabir's birthday dinner in 2018. <laughs> you know, that's how well I knew the guy. And so for him to do that and to call me these names and for Rachel to back it up and for the caucus that I know to back it up, um, it was pretty hard. And for my partner, of course, he really liked working with them. So that's four years of his life that he once believed these were his friends who've now uh, turned, turned on him. So, and then he had some health issues too. And I had a little bit of a health issue, not a big one. Um, so, you know, we've been dealing with stuff like that. Um, going forward now, I don't know. I'm, I've, I, I went on inactive list as a lawyer. Um, I just put my application to go back to active. Um, but it's hard to go back to the life you had before because especially as a lawyer, because the human rights commission was, is a very legal thing. That's all, that's all it is. It's a, you know, so you kind of feel like, well, I don't know if I want to be in that either anymore. Um, you, you lose a lot of interest in things that used to matter. Um, so you try to build that, rebuild that. Um, and you know, I got my lawsuit, hopefully, and, you know, and I, the UCP government was in a bit of a tough spot on this because, you know, they're trying to get the Muslim vote. I know that everybody, you know, and even during the campaign, I don't know if too many people picked up on it, but there was a bit of a back and forth between the NDP and the UCP about the Muslim vote. And I mean, I saw Irfan had tweeted something accusing the UCP of trying to mislead Muslims and saying that the NDP proposal to have, um, for, would, if the NDP won, they'd have all this trans stuff and gay stuff and all that sort of stuff going into the Muslim schools, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there was a bit of a back and forth there. And of course, the two uh, UCP, I think there's only the two, uh, Mickey Amory and uh, Mohammed Yassin, who are uh, Muslim, got reelected by very narrow margins. So there, you know, I think the NDP was hoping to do better maybe among that community. But hopefully, you know, 
let's work. I'm, I'm, I want to work with the UCP government. I want to work, you know, as you said, it would, all of this happened under Jason Kenney. Um, and I, I didn't have much hope there because by the time all this happened to me, he was checked out. He was not really focused on a lot of this stuff anymore. Um, so uh, even my, my wrongful dismissal suit, we filed a couple days before the leadership vote. So it was all under the Kenny government. And now maybe with, you know, Daniel Smith in there, different people, of course, Tyler's not there anymore. So, and I had some issues with his chief of staff, but I won't go into that. Um, so, you know, hopefully, and I, I sort of, you know, I've, I've kind of, some people said to me, well, now you've got Mickey Emery as a justice minister, will he block it because he's Muslim? And I said to people, well, you know, I've heard good things about him. I've heard he's a reasonable guy. So let's open another dialogue. Let's try again if we can. And if we can do it through him, more power. You know, I, I mean, because it, I don't feel comfortable just leaving this as lawsuits and the gay guy got kicked out by the NCCM's complaints. And, you know, it, it leaves me with a bad taste because as we've seen, and it's happening more in Canada and you and have, and I, Canada doesn't have a long history of it. The UK does, France does, Germany. But we're seeing, as you talked about in one of your episodes, the issue in the school, Londonderry School up in Edmonton. Um, there's protests in, on Ottawa, Carleton. So it's not, the direction isn't getting better for these communities in many ways. And, uh, you know, I'd rather it would. So certainly I'm hoping down the road. I mean, I mean I'm still going to do some, want to do work in Indigenous health equity, uh, and hopefully through the university um, and, yeah, and for the elderly. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, yeah, I, but I, I feel a little, it, it's hard to get too excited about, and it's my home, Alberta, but you know, I've kind of been, it hasn't gone well, so. Fair enough. Um, it's, it's quite the ringer that you've been through. And I think that it's a good reminder for um, everybody. I mean, like I, as you've been talking, I go back to the, uh, the, the episode and the conversation that we had with uh, the, the Honorable Stephanie McLean and, and Robin Love. And the, you know, we, we, we're dropping an episode, it will be before this one comes out, so timelines, um, but we, we're dropping an episode where we had a conversation with Jeremy Farkas. And the, the one theme that keeps coming up over and over and over again is that regardless of what side of the political spectrum people are on, when a political operative is being a political operative, they will absolutely cut your throat with a smile. Um, and, and that to me is, is, if there's something that we need to address in order to get people more engaged with all of the things, I think that that's, boy, that's got to be pretty close to the top of the list. Um, is there anything else you want people to hear? Is there anything else you want to say? Like, it's such a big thing, and I don't want to in any way miss anything that's important to you. No, I, you know, I think we've gone over most of it. Um, you know, like you say, you, you've got people coming on saying this is not a good approach to things. Um, and it, it left us pretty soured, especially because, you know, I wasn't a politician. I was actually a political appointee, but I wasn't running for office, you know, and like I say, this is a type of job where, 
and there were like Rajan Sani came out and criticized the vetting process where she, you know, well, she was a minister. She knows that there's a thorough vetting process for people at this level. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough. And I, one of the things I would like to see changed and actually, you know, Sean Fluker, who's a law prof, uh, who's also an NDP candidate, uh, he went after me a little bit saying, well, if I'm in there, you know, I'll make sure that we get a change so that there's a thorough vetting process like for judges. And I thought, well, one, I actually know the vetting process for judges quite well because I used to do it. Um, two, I know the NDP who appointed some people to the bench who basically mm -hmm, had some issues. And so I know how they did some of their vetting. Um, I'm not going to say who that is because I, I can't bring the, the yeah. judiciary into disrepute. I can't do that as a lawyer. Um, and I don't think it would anyhow, but there's some problems. But um, yeah, you know, people who are in these positions, as I said, Russ Brown, had he moved ahead and not resigned, he would have had a hearing before the Judicial Council. He would have had a lawyer. He would be able to defend himself. I never even got that opportunity. You know, all I got was the deputy minister asking me that day when the letter came from the NCCM, what are your response to these two questions? And, oh, now you're fired. <laughs> so, well, the next day they told me that. Um, so, yeah, you know, come on, let's have some fairness here. Where is the procedural fairness in this? I mean, I, I work, the Human Rights Commission is about, all about procedural fairness. Um, and, um, and I didn't get any of that. I, that was taken away. Um, because of accusations that people made. And as you say, the NCCM, well, they can claim to represent certain groups, but they don't represent everybody. Um, and so what I would like to see going forward, absolutely, well, maybe two things I could actually mention. One, I would like to see that um, posts like mine, if there is a complaint that comes up, that there's a tribunal that actually you can go to, you can make the complaint, it's not just that the minister fires you, get out the door, because now I'm in litigation with them over the contract, blah, blah, blah. So I think that would be a fairer way of dealing with this, because um, I did go through a vetting process. That's, you know, to, for people to say I didn't is untrue. I absolutely went through a very thorough vetting process. I had to compete for this job. I didn't just get it handed to me. Um, and so I think that I would like to see and, you know, the other thing, and actually, I've never said this really publicly before, so I'll say it here. <laughs> um, I think for the people that I, you know, when I took the job as chief, I, I did meet with a bunch of the, the staff in Calgary and a bunch of the staff in Edmonton. And they had been fairly dejected because they had really worked hard. There were a lot of changes that were made under my predecessor, and they had really worked hard. They were working late hours. They were, they were under the gun a lot. And so... I went in and I said, look, we're not gonna be doing all that. I wanna hear what you have to say and what your issues were. And you know, eventually I wanna get this workplace review done because I knew there were problems in the workplace. And so the other thing I'd like to see is that as with the federal government now, who's investigating my predecessor and what issues there are with him, and again, in a fair and neutral process, I think this government should set up an investigation, independent investigation of the Alberta Human Rights Commission and Tribunals because the staff there deserve it. They were harmed somehow and they need, they need, they need to, they need to that fix. And sure, I mean, they can look at what happened to me, I guess, and whether there were leaks, but I think, you know, 
we have to take these things seriously and we have to give those people they do. They work hard. Um, and a lot of, you know, the Human Rights Commission does get a lot of flack <laughs> um, because, you know, what, who are you to be telling me I've done something? You know, we, we get a lot of, it's not a popular group a lot of the time. And there's certainly some reforms that need to be made. But I would say, yeah, government, let's, let's do this. Let's get an investigation into what actually happened there. Uh, whether there was abuse, whether there were, you know, what was the issue with the sexual harassment claims and sort it out, give these people their day um, because I think they deserve it. Well, I want to, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I want to thank you so much for being willing to reschedule it. I don't know, nine, 10 times or whatever it was. And I, I do again, uh, uh, apologize for my, garbage lungs, I guess. Um, but uh, I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation uh, and being willing to share uh, your story and put some important, not just some context, which I think is always king, um, but there are folks, and this is something that we try, we're try, we try to check ourselves with here, where we go after the, you know, the idea um, and, and not the person, but there are folks that take a alarming amount of glee in dehumanizing other people. Um, and so I, I think that this is an, an important conversation to put a little bit of a human face on what appears to have the potential to be a boatload of political uh, fuckery um, that... Uh, probably shouldn't have played out in the way that it did. Yep, I'd agree with that. I'm with you there. I got one last question for you before I let you go, sir. Yes. Do you, do you, tell, do you still talk to Shandy? No. No, I, I mean, I've, I know his wife because I was, I was dealing with an estate matter before I, and they're, they, were a bit in, they were sort of tangential to it, but I was keeping them updated and through her because I didn't want to specifically talk to him about past work um but you know no i i don't i don't you know i don't have a lot of animus towards him um i think he kind of got caught he wasn't the one who initially he, i think he tried to defend me at first but you know i don't think he fired me properly i think that's all wrong and that's why i'm suing i think that's completely wrong but you know i mean i i i talked to andrea his wife when they were getting hit by a lot of the attacks on them. Um, and it was pretty hard on her, uh, you know, and the two kids. And so I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I gotta tell you, I could even sit down and Rachel drinks IPAs. So I could even sit down with her and drink an IPA and talk if she's willing to. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of water under the bridge, but Shandy, no, I, I don't, I, you know, I, maybe someday, I don't know. We'll see. But he, and he stuck with this, with this law society thing, which I have some mixed feelings about as well. Cause I did watch the first two days of it and I was, I thought, okay, well, I don't know if these accusations are really going to get too far, but I'll leave that to the law society. There we go. They, they got competent people there. They can deal with that. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat tonight, Colin. Thanks so much, Nate. Great to, great to be here. As 
always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game, and it is tremendously appreciated. So I want to throw a big thank you out to them. And you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.